Hi, and welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, what follows are some selections from our service on October 10th, 2021, a special service honoring Indigenous Peoples Day. In this video, you'll get to hear the reading and the reflection, and following that, we hope that you'll join us for a lively discussion where we go a little deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week. It's posted on our website, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. And if you do like what you see, we hope that you'll give us the positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing and subscribing, that all really helps us to spread Fourth Universalist media further. Finally, and especially important on this Indigenous Peoples Day, we acknowledge that our community is located on the lands of the Munse Lenape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we embrace and live out the eighth UU principle. Thank you again for watching. today comes to us from Joy Harjo, the first Native American to receive the honor of being the Poet Laureate in the United States. The title is Honoring. Who sings to the plants that are grown for our plates? Are they gathered lovingly in arms or aprons? Or do they suffer the fate of the motor-driven whip of the monster reaper? No song at all, only the sound of money being stacked in the bank. Who stitched the seams in my clothes one line after another? Was the room sweaty and dark with no hour to spare? Did she have enough to eat? Did she have a home anywhere? Or did she live on the floor? And where were the children? Or was the seamstress the child with no home of his or her own? Who sacrifices to make clothes for the strangers in another country? And why? Let's remember to thank the grower of food, the picker, the driver, the sun and the rain. Let's remember to thank each maker of stitch and layer of pattern, the dyer of color in the immense house of beauty and pain. Here ends the reading. First, I want to thank Reverend Schuyler, the board, and the board president Spencer, and you, the Fourth U Congregation, for sponsoring me as a seminarian. I am humbled by your confidence in me and look forward to discovering the new ways we can support each other. 
I also want to thank my mentors, professors, and my friends and family who are, for me, a source of love and compassion. I also want to take a moment to acknowledge my privilege to be on this pulpit. There are many places of worship who censor pulpits, often denying them to women, LGBTQIA plus people, people of color, people of a certain class, educational level, political affiliation, backgrounds of all kinds. I am fortunate and we are fortunate that our congregation's pulpit has no such censor and that we are all invited to speak truth, love and justice from this pulpit. I'm grateful to participate in that tradition. So I want to start with a story. This story is the story of the people of Maktan, who once inhabited a neighboring island near what is now modern day Cebu in the island nation of the Philippines. The people of the archipelago at the time possessed a thriving economy situated in a large trade route in Asia. The influences from other parts of Asia were present in the culture and in an animism practice called Batala which is closely related to another spiritual practice that exists today called Anito. The spiritual belief system revered ancestors that have passed and believed that the divine was in everything and that everything was in fact divine. The people of Maktan were led by a datu, which is equivalent to a chief named Si Lapu-Lapu. On April 27th, 1527, Ferdinand Magellan in service to the Spanish Empire led 60 heavily armored men and 30 war boats from the island now known as Cebu to the Mactan shores, but they were unable to land because of the coral that lined the coast of Mactan. Magellan, according to the oral tradition, offered not to attack that if Dr. Lapu-Lapu swore allegiance to the Spanish king Datu Lapu-Lapu ignored his request. And that's when Magellan took his men on smaller boats and went to the shore to burn down their homes. Enraged by this act of aggression, Datu Lapu-Lapu had, uh, had a defensive attack that killed many of Magellan's men and killed Magellan himself with a poisoned spear. Datu Lapu-Lapu didn't know it at the time, but he prevented the Spanish colonization of the Philippines by 44 years. Miguel Lopez de Legazpi, in service to the Spanish king, King Philip II, landed in Cebu and by force established the first Spanish colony in the Philippines. Soon after, Spanish soldiers, friars, conquered and homogenized indigenous populations through force. Local communities were taxed and they were put to work in service to the Spanish crown. The religious practices were deemed heretical and the Christianization of the Filipino grew stronger and stronger until indigenous cultural practices were nearly wiped out. Now the story should sound more and more familiar. The Aboriginal Australians in Oceania, the Juma of Bangladesh, the Armenian genocide during World War I, the Mesoamerican Aztecs, the Cree, the Inuit, the Lenape, the Taino, 
the biblical Israelites, the Palestinian people, the Palestinian people, and so many more, too many to list the atrocities that happened in this nation's history is not new or unique. The acquisition of resources, the fight for power, it is a, it is a story as old as history, and yet we have not learned from it. The second story is usually one that is half told. In the 1880s, the elite class of the Philippines were able to send their sons to be educated, and from that, a man by the name of Jose Rizal advocated for political reform in opposition to Spanish rule. And so he was captured, arrested, and executed. That lit the fire of the Philippine Revolution. Organized revolts erupted everywhere until finally it led to a truce struck by Emilia Aguinaldo, leader of the rebel forces. During this time, the United States were at war with Spain. Admiral George Dewey called on Aguinaldo for help to secure the, the victory at the Battle of Manila Bay, assuring Aguinaldo that their intention was to liberate the Philippines from Spanish rule. Aguinaldo took the office of the president and with Filipino forces removed the last remaining Spanish commander. And this is usually where the story ends. June 12th is celebrated as Independence Day in the Philippines, and it notes the independence from Spain. The benevolent story of rescue of the United States. But today, I want to take it further. Dewey took control of the city and would not allow Aguinaldo and his forces into the city. It became clear that the U.S. never intended to support Aguinaldo's goal of independence. They were there to exercise control. This was the beginning of the Filipino-American War, known here as the Philippine Insurrection. 4,200 American soldiers were killed, and over 100,000 Filipino casualties were reported. However, estimates that include limited access to resources like health care and clean water places the total loss to be over 1 million Filipinos. Americans committed atrocities like rape, murder, torture, scorched earth campaigns, as well as placing Filipinos in concentration camps. These atrocities were racially motivated and even sparked outrage and anti-imperialist criticism here in the United States. Aguinaldo was captured in 1901 and appealed for Filipinos to accept U.S. sovereignty. U.S. sovereignty, an empire acting like a democracy. What resulted was a period of open trade from the Philippines free of tariffs to the U.S. market, displacing the Philippines of its resources and, ex and in exchange for cooperation, independence and self-governance was dangled like a carrot on a stick in front of the working-class Filipinos for decades, ever-present but out of reach. This was used to manipulate the political and economic agendas set forth by the United States. American imperialism is a danger to all people. 
indigenous people suffer the most from American imperialism because they continue to endure direct violence, discrimination, and oppression. Land is stolen and continues to be stolen to this day with restructuring shrinking Native American reservations to build pipelines and for mining and for hydrofracking. Outside of the United States, aggressive militarism is a foundation for US imperialism. The military carry out operations to gain more control over the world. They force elected governments out of power, which are replaced by puppet regimes that will ensure US interests are protected. Justifications for these operations are usually disguised as human rights violations or perceived threats to national security. But these claims are often baseless and used as tools for justifying intervention in the affairs of other countries. 235 years since the United States' independence from Great Britain and the American empire is still expanding, still displacing brown people and pushing them to the margins of society. And when the people of the United States displaces through imperialism show up at our southern borders for asylum, we deny them, often separating them from their families first in detention centers that are unfit for human habitation. The United States of America is a mafia run by plutocrats and oligarchs with corporate interests who holds capitalism as their highest value. And there is a cost to this. Human lives, indigenous lives, lives we are committed to protect and advocate for. So where are we in this equation? Our desire towards justice, love, and freedom must be what sustains us as a community. Our commitment to dismantling systems of white supremacy and injustice everywhere should bring us back to our home base, our shared goal we all possess to fight a common evil. In our Unitarian history, we were guided to justice-seeking impulses, and it originated from the inspiration drawn when one notable Palestinian Jew took on a Roman empire. He sought to follow the prophetic duty of justice, divinely bestowed upon him by a higher power, deeply rooted in Jewish scriptures, echoed in the Abrahamic teachings, Christianity and Islam, always transforming rugged individualism into community, indifference into compassion, and most importantly, despair into hope. We must continue to be feminists in order to protect indigenous lives. We must continue to be allies to our LGBTQIA siblings in order to protect indigenous lives. We must be climate activists, environmentalists, advocates for healthcare, anti-racists in order to protect indigenous lives. And we must also be anti-imperialists. Amen, mabuhay kayo lahat, and blessed be. Just a reminder for today, the picnic is canceled at the park due to the weather, but we're happy to fellowship with you here in the sanctuary. Food is not permitted in the sanctuary, unfortunately, but if you're hungry or a diabetic like me, please step out, have a snack. We won't close the doors on you. <laughs> and you can always come back and we will be here for fellowship.
And now our closing words today arrive to us through the first president of Bolivia to come from its indigenous population, Evo Morales. In a preface to Vijay Prashad's book, A History of the CIA, Coups and Assassinations, he writes, Every day, we are reminded of the duty to continue our struggle against imperialism, against capitalism, and against colonialism. We must work together towards a world in which greater respect for the people and for Mother Earth is possible. In order to do this, it is essential for us to intervene so that the needs of the masses and the oppressed are put first. We have the conviction that we are the masses and that the masses over time will win. Today, the service today has ended and so our service, our service continues. Go in peace, return no evil with evil, but with the good that is in you, conquer evil. Mabuhay, mabuhay kayo lahat, mabuhay kayo lahat sa Zoom, and blessed be. I am so excited after such an uh, interesting and challenging message to get to sit down with our sponsored seminarian, our guest speaker for today, uh, Errol de los Santos. Uh, Errol, would you like to introduce yourself to those who maybe haven't gotten the chance to get to know you? Yeah, sure, Amber. My name is Errol de los Santos. And uh, like Ember said, I'm a sponsored seminarian at 4th U, for <laughs> the uh, Universalist Society um, here in the city of New York. And I am a first year um, divinity student at Union Theological. And um, I also work at the Community Church of New York as their communications coordinator. And uh, I live right here in Harlem. Yes, uh, you are like a nice uh, multi-church uh, you know, spreading, uh, spreading the love around the different congregations. Like we might as well just appoint you the representative of the, the whole New York cluster. Under uh, uh, And I do generally ask uh, guests uh, if they have preference on their pronouns to let our guests know so they know how to refer to folks. Oh, right. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I use he, him pronouns. Sounds good. Okay. So... Um, quite the big topic for a challenging day for Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, obviously, Indigenous Peoples Day perhaps inspired a little bit of the message, but what were what were some of the things that inspired this specific message for you? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been uh, reading some literature from uh, a hero of mine, um, Dr. Cornell West, um, and he wrote a couple of books called Democracy Matters. And he kind of expanded the idea of um, American imperialism and how it's touched so many uh, places in the world, um, especially American imperialism. And um, as I'm looking back in the history of my own heritage, um, I find that American imperialism also affected the Philippines. And I am a, a first generation immigrant from the Philippines. Um, came, my family came over here in 1992, 1993, um, and I felt this topic was very um, near to my heart, also to my family and my friends um, who live in the Philippines. Definitely. So, I mean, drawing from your personal experiences, drawing from that as you were, were writing it, and it's one of the things that I, I really appreciated about the message. Um, are there, are there any other books uh, besides the one by uh, Cornell West that, that you would 
uh, that you drew from or maybe that you recommend folks to check out as they think about uh, imperialism? Yeah, sure. So uh, Joy Harjo is um, the poet laureate of the United States, the first um, Native American uh, to achieve that uh, position. Um, her poetry is very honest and it's very um, moving and draws from her own experience as uh, being from the Muscogee Nation. Um, also, um, the Eva Morales quote that I used at the end of the closing words, um, that is from a preface from Vijay Prashad's book, um, History of the CIA, Coups and Assassinations. Um, very good book, very good read, um, if you want to kind of expand your perspective uh, on imperialism too. So those are the two books that I drew from um, in order to create the um, pieces of the service. Um, I also encourage everyone to read Dr. Cornell's, uh, Dr. Cornell West's book, um, Democracy Matters. That's a very good book. Well, definitely, that's some, some solid recommendations there. I've heard lots of good about uh, Vijay's books. Um, I know uh, one that, was impactful for me in thinking about imperialism and tying it to the new colonialism, neo-colonialism, uh, was uh, Kwame Nkrumah. Um, uh, and uh, as well as some other, especially uh, African theorists and activists and leaders uh, really thinking about that. But, you know, if you mentioned Evo Morales and there's lots of folks uh, in, in uh, Latin and South America, writing, writing and experiencing a lot to do with, uh, with American imperialism. That's right. That's right. And um, these are very strong messages of liberation. So um, if you are into that type of theology um, and or incorporating that theology in your own life, um, you, can you can draw inspiration from these. Um, and also uh, if you want to restore your, um, your commitments to protecting others and advocating for others, these are also very good books for that. Right. I, I know uh, with moving to Vietnam, with uh, interacting a lot with uh, the work of Ho Chi Minh, uh, I, he has the quote that, uh, if you do not side on the side of colonial people, then what kind of revolution are you waging? Uh, mm. And that one is one that I often come back to anytime that I'm thinking about like any sort of activism. I'm thinking, does this center, uh, does this prioritize, you know, the experiences and the lives and the realities of, of indigenous folks? I agree. It's important, important stuff. So Im imperialism, it's maybe not you know, I can't, we're, we're, we're beginning to talk a little bit about colonialism, like we had confronting colonialism last year, people are interested in like observing things like Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day. Um, we're, we're beginning to have some of these conversations, but talking about imperialism, talking about, um, you know, I think that a lot of people, best way. A lot of people are, you know, uncomfortable with the idea that America isn't exceptional, that we shouldn't be the world's police, that, you know, even uh, many people with justice focus or activist focus, that they ultimately come to the conclusion that the U.S. should do something to fix a problem or the U.S. should, our government, why, why aren't we doing something about this? Um, that, that we turn to exceptionalism, we turn to power, we turn to imperialism, as a way, so why is this so important? Why, why, like, 
why aren't we talking about it and why should we be talking about it, I suppose would be a, a simpler way to put it. I know why it's important to me and maybe, um, maybe this um, can track with other people, but I, I know that in our social location in, the Amer- in America, in the United States, um, imperialism can be a, more pernicious and like not something that is at the forefront of our awareness. Um, not as much as, um, you know, studying history and colonialism and things like that, um, critical race theory and all these other things that um, intersect with imperialism. Um, it's really, it's worthwhile studying imperialism because it has such a devastating effect on um, people. It can, it can, in a blink of an eye, wipe people out like white people off the face of the earth. And we can see this in the, um, the many uh, examples that I used in my sermon uh, about pockets of culture just disappearing mm-hmm. um, and of the Native American reservation shrinking. Uh, so we can conceptualize it as a, a domestic threat, but we can also, you know, we, we, we may not be able to see outside of that and see the international threat, um, the global threat, and how these um, intersect with things like um, climate activism and um, uh, just other things that, I'm having a hard time (laughs) grasping the words here. (laughs) It's all tied to the same attitudes that that, uh, of colonialism on, on our domestic level that's like it, it's these same attitudes, like that it's that it's connected. You can't you can't uh, understand racism without understanding colonialism. You can't understand white supremacy without understanding colonialism. You can't understand I, colonialism without understanding how that then is acted upon on a on a global scale by by especially Western powers. I know there's uh, the meme that I've seen online. I, I don't have it right now to pull up, uh, but it's the 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 meme of uh, the international community, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find it so that I can insert it into this video later. Uh, this is where I will put it if I do find it. <laughs> uh, but it's this idea that um, the international community is often the U.S., Canada, Europe. That's that's the international community. Um, uh, and maybe like Australia. So then it's it's this picture of you know, like just these few countries and it leaves everything else. And it's like, this is the international community because, you know, oftentimes you'll see things like, oh, it's really important that the international community act on this. Um, but oftentimes it's, it's benefiting a specific uh, set of nations or it's, a, it's the actions of a specific set of nations who previously colonized the world. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all interlinked. It's, yeah, it's important. Okay. Um, so as you use, um, you know, with you as, as a sponsored seminarian now in a UU church, with you as uh, working at a UU church, um, <laughs> and why is this important for, for UUs to begin to, to get a grasp on in particular, you think? Yeah, great. That's a great question. Um, uh, for, I mean, people who are viewing this who don't know, um, uh, 
UU Faith is based on um, these eight principles that um, we all um, try to live by. And um, the first, second, um, fourth, and I think the sixth principle are the ones that, um, that are kind of uh, activated here um, as, as you use. So the inherent worth and dignity of every person in order to stop imperialism. It, it's really not, um, the conversation is us against them. It really shouldn't be. It should be um, every single person is valuable. Um, uh, an Afghan a life in Afghanistan is not worth more than a life in America, um, is what Dr. Cornell West would say um, over and over in his sermons. It, and it's true, you know, our, our, there's, there's no one life in America that's worth more than a, a life outside America. It, everybody should have this um, kind of equality and we should be protecting each other. Um, uh, the second principle, justice, equity, and compassion for all humans. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, um, you know, that, that's something we pursue. That's the thing that echoes through our Unitarian heritage, um, this impulse to seek justice and love and equity for other people. Um, and the fourth principle, the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We, uh, I mean, I could say whatever I want in the sermon. It's really up to us to acknowledge um, what in that is truth, right? Mm -hmm. What in that is meaning? What in that, what, it, what, there, what is it, what's there that we can act on? And um, of course, the sixth principle is the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all it's not, you know, it is unjust what we are doing as um, an American empire. It is, it is unjust. Expanding um, our influence um, to other countries and on like the basis of, uh, of like um, we're trying to fight um, human rights violations or searching for weapons of mass destruction that don't exist. Um, it's, it's not, um, it, we're creating these, um, reasons to enact and, and drop the, the imperialist hammer on, on, um, other countries, um, when we really don't have a reason to, um, so sometimes these reasons can be disguised and we need to see through that. Right. Yeah, when I, you know, I think, um, I know it was true also in, in the UCC, uh, because like at the time the UCC would brag like, oh, Obama attended a UCC church before. And, you know, I, th I think that you use like, oh, there's been famous Unitarian presidents. And like, uh, there is this connection to power, this connection to things that uh, we learned in confronting colonialism last year about how people who were Unitarians, who were Universalists were involved in helping colonize uh, Hawaii and take over and overthrow the Hawaiian kingdom. Uh, you know, like to, we, we have to acknowledge this past and we have to acknowledge that as a denomination that does have some level of uh, political connection and influence, that this is something that's even more important for those of us with, with voices to like speak out uh, and, and talk about. I mean, in, 
besides that, that we're also heavily located in the United States. Uh, and so we're, we're in the belly of the beast, I suppose, too. Well, and, you know, you mentioned uh, war, but it's also important to acknowledge that this happens in, in a variety of ways. Like oftentimes uh, people view sanctions as a slightly less bad thing, but usually that means, uh, you know, uh, huge economic consequences you know like we talk uh, suddenly uh, with covid americans are, are understanding the supply line a little bit more and realizing that like if something breaks down there starts to not be instant access to these things that we uh, have grown used to having right away and sanctions do that on a much larger scale uh, or things like on a cultural level of imperialism that like you know american uh, media is just kind of spread everywhere and the news is accepted as the most unpartial news and uh, are, are there other things that you would connect to imperialism that you think are important for people to be thinking about? Well, w- one thing I want to add to that, uh, what, what you had just said about uh, sanctions. Sanctions are um, a means to exercise control. That's what, that's what sanctions are for. Um, because the world economy um, works on on several different levels, and a sanction will block off something. And it's a, and that's that's uh, it's so impactful, um, especially for um, nations that are like developing and trying to create their own economic um, their own. Uh, they're trying to like build up their economy. Um, I know that in uh, the history of the Philippines, when um, the United States took control of the Philippines, um, they sort they made it so that the Philippine trade would only happen between the Philippines and the United States, which locked them out of the Chinese markets and things like that. And so. That was the only way that created like an inter an independence of each, a dependence on each other. Sorry, a dependence on each other that was um, economic, you know. And imagine if they had restricted that um, that uh, relationship, um, the Philippines would have suffered, and uh, the middle class would um, would start to collapse. So. So that 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 was just an add-on to your um, uh, comment. It was a very thoughtful comment. Um, and let me think about this, because imperialism. Um, it really it touches everything. Like there, there is absolutely nothing um, in terms of social issues, economic issues, political issues, that that imperialism doesn't touch, um, even war, even like uh, creating, uh, even funding war. Um, right now, uh, there, is a, um, there is an established relationship between um, funding war with Israel and their um, fight with Palestine and um, there have been politicians who have spoken out against that, um, but we are effectively influencing the outcome of that war because of you know if, of, of of like these imperialist 
um, ideologies um, and who suffers the Palestinian people. And it's just, it's awful. Um, that should weigh on all of us because a loss of a life in Palestine is, is our loss. It's all of our losses. Um, so that's another way uh, imperial, um, imperialism is uh, despicable and um, causes destruction. Mm. Right. And remembering that these are our real lives, like the, uh, that these are, um, it's real pain in real people's lives that's being caused. Yes. Yeah. I have a feeling that, you know, you and I could probably literally take this conversation for another hour. Um, perhaps a future additional podcast or a future uh, course even um, confronting imperialism to follow up on confronting colonialism. Um, yeah. Left. We'll be thinking about that one. Um, but Errol, it's been so great to get to sit down with you for this recording today. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you.